Afternoon, everyone. In just a few minutes, um, we will be discussing our new numbers uh, for today, as well as what our uh, color-coded map looks like this week. Um, sadly, our situation continues in Ohio to worsen. For my fellow Ohioans who have felt that until now this virus really did not impact their life, did not impact their family, and who have said, I'll pay attention when it gets serious. I'll pay attention when it threatens me and my family. The message to them today is, it is now serious. And it's time for all of us to come together. Truly, uh, we need you. We need each and every one of you. We need you to be fully engaged in this battle. When, in a few minutes, you see the data, when you see how fast the virus is spreading across Ohio, when you see that the virus has spread and penetrated into virtually every county, extensively in every county, I think it will become clear that we all must together fight back. We all must be engaged. Today's Wall Street Journal, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, has written a very powerful op-ed piece on his personal experience with COVID. Governor Christie, in his characteristic way of speaking bluntly uh, and straight to the American people, said that he'd been wearing his mask for seven months and then he didn't. He was diagnosed with COVID-19, spent a week in the ICU fighting the disease. Uh, he's with us today to tell his story. And so, Governor, thank you very, very much for, for joining us. I, I, I underline one part of your op-ed. Uh, I just thought it was so, so strong. Um, and I'll just read it before I turn it over to you. This is your words, talking about wearing a mask, keeping a distance. These minor inconveniences can save your life, your neighbor's life, and the economy. Seldom has so little been asked for so much benefit. Governor, you're looking good. Thank you for joining us. Governor, thank you uh, for having me uh, with you this morning, and, or this afternoon, rather. And, and, and let me first just commend you for the job that you're doing in Ohio. Um, you have been a, a consistent, strong voice right since the beginning of this of this uh, pandemic, and I'm happy to be uh, to be a part of your your presser today. Um, listen, I, I think the easiest way to start this is to say, I thought I was safe, and I was wrong. I got tested every day when I walked into the grounds of the White House for the four days that I was doing debate prep with President Trump. Um, I was assured sitting in the third row of the Amy Coney Barrett ceremony, which happened after our first session of debate prep, that everyone in the first three rows had been tested that day and tested negative. I was assured that everybody in debate prep had been tested. And so I took my mask off. I walked, when I get to the gates of the White House, I had my mask on. When I walked through the gates and found out that I had tested negative, 
at the White House medical unit, I took my mask off and I left it off, but only for the time that I was inside those gates. As soon as I left to walk back to my hotel, I put my mask back on immediately, kept it on when I was in the hotel lobby, walking down the streets. Um, I only took it off once I got back in my room by myself. I did that for four days out of seven months that we've been going through this pandemic. And three days later, I began to feel what I call the freight train of symptoms that happened with COVID-19. Fever, headaches, incredible body aches, chills, sweats. Um, and it overcame me in a period of 24 hours to where I'd gone from feeling fine and doing my work on a Friday afternoon to by Saturday at one o'clock um, being admitted to the hospital and taken immediately to the intensive care unit where I stayed for the next six and a half days. And during that period of time, I will tell you, it is a frightening experience. I want everybody out there who's listening to understand that this is one of the most unpredictable, random, and brutal viruses you'll ever see. And every day my doctors would come in and tell me, well, things are looking a little bit better or a little bit worse, but we can't guarantee you that within an hour it won't turn significantly worse. And with my history as an asthmatic since I was 13 years old, they were very concerned uh, about how this would go for me. So my message to the people of Ohio and, and to the people of this country, which is why I did the op-ed, is that there's no place to hide from this virus if you're not going to take this common sense steps that the CDC and the NIH have recommended to us. Wear a mask when you're outside, remain socially distanced from people, no big crowds, and wash your hands frequently. Uh, you know, I came out of this okay, and I'm very fortunate. I still feel some of the symptoms of fatigue most particularly, and my doctors say I could last for quite some time. But um, I survived, I'm alive, and it very well could have gone the other way. And for 220,000 other Americans, it has. So I just want to urge as many people as I can, don't let your guard down. It's not worth it. I went through it. I made a huge mistake by taking that mask off. And uh, it's something that uh, I hope no other Americans uh, have to go through. Well, thank you so much for not only being on our presser today, but, you know, for just speaking out, for writing the op-ed, uh, for sharing your experience. Uh, you know, as you told the story to me before we went on the air, now as you tell it again, um, the psychological impact of a doctor telling you that must have been just terrifying. I mean, when they come in every day and say, yeah, you're doing maybe okay, or, you know, but this thing could turn like that. Governor, I just can't, I, I can't imagine that, you know. It was, and the, and the thing that adds to it is you're in isolation. I was in the intensive care unit, but in isolation behind two-inch thick glass. The glass was so thick that you couldn't hear the nurses on the other side of the glass. They would hold up a whiteboard, either giving me instructions or asking me questions, and I had a whiteboard to write back to them. Uh, and when they came in, they were in heavy PPE. And so you you're just left alone with your thoughts. And, you know, that's one of the things that I think people don't understand about this disease because it's so random, because so much, so little is understood that, you know, when you're there and you're going through it, 
the psychological effect that it has on you, and it certainly had on me, was significant. You start to think about, you know, life and death, and you're in the throes of, at the same time, the way I described it to one of my friends was, it's like getting beaten up from the inside out. And that combination of physical and psychological stress is unique in my life and, and pretty extraordinary. So I, again, I can't emphasize enough. I know how tired everybody is of this. I know it. I felt it myself. And, but I will tell you that as tired as you are of strapping that mask on or going to the sink and washing those hands again, um, I can tell you, you will take those days in a heartbeat compared to getting this disease. Well, and been, as you describe it, being basically in total isolation during this time, no family, no ability to, you know, have, have somebody love there with you or hold your hand or do anything. It just must have been, you know, it must be very tough. Thank you. Well, Governor, thank you for giving me the chance to talk to the people of Ohio today and to be a part of your team. Um, I support what you're doing out there. I want to tell the people of Ohio that from my experience, what the governor's advising you to do, it's exactly the right thing to do. And I hope that you follow his advice and direction. Um, he, he has learned a great deal about this over the last seven months, and he's been an incredibly articulate spokesman for the people of Ohio and for what we need to do to battle this pandemic. So uh, you're all in my prayers. Uh, and uh, Governor, thank you for giving me the time um, to be with you today and to continue to spread this message. Well, Governor, thank you for doing it. Thank you for having the courage to to describe what happened to you and, and your your experience. And, uh, you know, I think that getting that story out, we'll never know, but I'm sure it will save lives. It will save other people from some real agony and their families uh, from going going through that as well. So you're, you're, you're looking great. You're feeling pretty good, a little tired, but uh, you, look, you look you look good. Thank you. Governor, thank you. Well, thank you, Governor. I sure hope it does save some lives both in Ohio and around the country. And God bless you for what you're doing. Thank you. God bless you, too. Thank you very much. Thanks, Governor. Today, I'm wearing a purple tie in recognition of Purple Thursday. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And Americans all over the country are wearing purple today to bring attention to this very important uh, issue, uh, particular uh, purple tie that I have on uh, is Spring Hill College, uh, which is where our youngest daughter, Anna, went. It's a tie, the purple tie I picked out today. If you need help um, in regard to domestic violence, if you need help leaving and getting to a safe place, uh, please reach out to the Ohio Domestic Violence Network. Uh, their number is 800-934-9840. That's 800-934-9840. That's the Ohio Domestic Violence Network. You can also visit odvn.org. Uh, and of course, if you experience an emergency, uh, you can call 911. Eric, let's go to the data. Well, as you can see, um, the numbers continue to go up. 
Um, today we're reporting 2,425 new cases since yesterday. This is the highest number we've ever reported on a single day uh, since this started in Ohio seven and a half months ago. The highest before that was yesterday. Of the 10 highest days of new cases reported, eight have occurred in the past nine days. Uh, nine have occurred in the month of October alone. And quite candidly, what is most scary about this is that it does not seem like we're even starting to get to a plateau. It just goes up and up. We have 12 deaths reported since yesterday. In addition, there were 159 new hospital admissions. The third highest we have reported so far and 25 new ICU admissions. Eric, let's go to our hospitalization slide and look at that for a moment. These are the current number of COVID-19 patients that are in the hospital. This is what this chart uh, is. It's really a hospital uh, count. Um, this is one of the really most important indicators that we have. Uh, it's a lagging indicator. It's late, late obviously, well after someone is, is diagnosed many times. Uh, although Chris Christie's, uh, it, it was not. It was you know, apparently w within the same day. Um, this number has been trending higher for the past several weeks. Uh, for example, on October 9th, if I can find uh, October 9th is back here. So October 9th is the first part of that. On October 9th, we had a total of 853 COVID-19 patients in our hospitals in Ohio. Today, that number has grown to 1,293. Uh, we certainly must prevent overwhelming our hospital system to ensure that Ohioans can receive inpatient treatment for COVID-19, but also uh, we have to have room for other people, uh, people who are there for serious accidents, car crashes, strokes, and, and heart attacks. That's why this number is certainly something that we, we keep our eye on. Uh, Eric, let's go to the uh, public health advisory system numbers. Um, there's really two things we ask you to look at. And if you're looking at for your school district, if you're looking at for your, uh, your community, really two big things to look at. This is the first one. This is where your county ranks in the last two weeks in number of cases per 100,000 population. Um, as you can see, the blue part continues. And the blue part the blue shaded counties are high incident counties. When this started, we had a handful of counties uh, that were high incidence. We've gone through this at different points. Today, as you can see, it's virtually takes all the way over to here. All of these counties are high incident counties. Uh, again, that means there's over 100,000 uh, per 100,000 uh, cases is how is how that is measured. We'll get into some numbers in a minute. Uh, we continue to have more and more counties exceed the CDC's threshold for high incidence. As we talk about our high incidence counties and the alert system, 
uh, we need to remember that the incident list shows you how quickly the virus is transmitting in our communities. For example, let's go to the, this, this is the first top of the list. We'll go back, Eric, to previous one. We'll go to this one, Putnam County. You can see 186 cases um, that they've had in the last two weeks. But they are at five and a half times what the high incidence rate is according to the CDC. Five and a half times that number. And you can see as we go down to Auglaise, Mercer, Jackson, Allen, you can just see, you know, the high incidence is 100. And you can see these are, you know, five and a half times, three times, some of them two times. So uh, very, very high. Um, let's go, uh, Eric, uh, let's go look at the next uh, slide. This is our, the other big indicator, which is our color slide. And you can see this is where we were last week. Uh, and this is where we are uh, this week. And let's go to the next slide. Eric will show just that. So this is where we are uh, this week. Today, we have an alarming number of counties that are red. 38 of our counties uh, are red. We also have three counties that are now on the watch list, which means that they're between red and purple. Uh, that's Clark County, Cuyahoga County, and Hamilton County. Uh, this is an increase from 29 red counties last week. Uh, and three, as I said, three on the watch alert. Um, watch alert simply means that <clears throat> all the indicators would indicate they're purple this week but we don't post them as purple until they've done it for two weeks straight. So we don't know if they're gonna turn into purple or not. We'll have to see what happens um, in, you know, between now and, and next week and then look at next week's numbers. Uh, the new red counties are Allen, Crawford, Geauga, Hardin, Lake, Lorraine, Ottawa, Tuscarora, and Wayne. Five of these counties are red for the first time. Uh, Crawford, Geauga, Lake, Ottawa, and Tuscarora. This is a, we continue to show this, uh, and here we are this week. This is the percentage of our population that is, is red. Um, and then you see down here some in, in the orange, and then a very, very small cases now, few cases that are actually in, in the yellow. Um, this means the virus is spreading throughout all the regions of the state. It's penetrating everywhere. We now only have four counties that are yellow. Uh, this is the highest number of red counties, the lowest number of yellow counties to date. This means that 74% of Ohioans are living in a red county, 74%. Only 1% are living in a yellow county. Now let's go back and show the alert map um, here again. Uh, 92 0.8, almost 93% of Ohioans are living in a county that is red or a high incidence county. Uh, I mentioned before that every week uh, that I have a call with local health commissioners, and we did this this past Monday. Um, and every day, members of my team are reaching out to these health commissioners as well. What we're hearing from these officials from all over the state is, of course, what we know, that Ohioans are tired, uh, laying their guard down, they want to see friends and, and family. 
Let me share a quick example of what we learned about uh, from the local health department that illustrates why uh, we just don't have the luxury of letting our guard down. Uh, during the summer, as it got increasingly hot, uh, a factory allowed its workers to remove face coverings. Um, unfortunately, uh, the employees did not start wearing masks again when it cooled off this fall. Now there's an outbreak of 25 employees that crosses two counties with at least two hospitalizations so far. Um, these stories uh, continue um, through, throughout the state. And again, uh, it is when we let our guard down, Chris Christie's story is, is, you know, really speaks volumes about what can happen. You can be very, very careful. You let your guard down for a relatively short period of time and then boom, um, there, there it is. I want to talk about our watch list counties and the first one will be Clark County. Clark is at a very high incidence, 251 cases per 100,000. Um, what you're seeing in these watch counties uh, is sustained increase in outpatient visits for COVID-like illness, sustained increase in hospitalizations, uh, sustained increase in emergency department visits. So several of these are very early indicators uh, and they have to do uh, with what's going on in the hospitals. Clark County is on the watch list for the first time since the alert system started four months ago. The county also exceeds the CDC's threshold for high incidence. Local health department officials report that there are 30 people hospitalized for COVID. They also report that they have a number of cases from long-term care facilities, but that much of the spread in the community is coming from people getting together with, with friends, just laying their guard down. Um, we're seeing transmission throughout, throughout the county. Uh, let's go to Hamilton County. Hamilton County is uh, about the same level uh, of of cases, uh, they are at the rate of 234 cases per 100,000 residents. Uh, they returned to the watch list this week. The county exceeds the CDC's threshold for high incidence. They're seeing growth in new cases and growth in hospital admissions. Local health department officials have told us that they had more new cases reported during the past weekend than any other weekend throughout the pandemic. Um, and they were reporting their highest number of cases and hospitalizations than they've had at any point during the entire pandemic. Social gatherings, family get-togethers continue to drive community spread in Hamilton County. Let's go up north to Cuyahoga County. Uh, Cuyahoga County is, is, is a lower level. Uh, they are just right at the level about their 101 cases per 100,000, but uh, they're on the watch list because of sustained increase in outpatient visits, sustained increase in hospitalizations, sustained increase in emergency department visits. They returned to the watch list this week in addition to exceeding the CDC's threshold for high incidence. The county, as I said, has sustained increase in new cases, outpatient visits, and hospital admissions. Uh, local health department officials report they're seeing double the case volume compared to just two weeks ago, double the case volume compared to just two weeks ago. They also report that hospitals are seeing increased in inpatient and outpatient volume and that social gatherings continue to be a problem. Uh, let's go quickly to the new red counties. Uh, Allen County joins the list this week. The county also exceeds the CDC's threshold for high incidence. In fact, they are quite high. They are at 345 cases per 100,000. The county has had sustained increase in new cases also 
sustained increase in outpatient visits. Local health department officials report that much of the spread in the community is generating from family get-togethers. Uh, hospitals are also starting to be impacted, they've added. Crawford County. Crawford County had also had a very high incidence. They, they also are red. Uh, they are at 296 cases per 100,000, almost three times the CDC's um, high incident level. Crawford is red for the first time. The county exceeds the CDC's threshold for high incidence, and this is seeing a sustained increase in new cases, cases and outpatient visits. Local health department officials have told us there's more, uh, a third of their cases are coming from spread between family members. There are small church outbreaks, two long care, uh, care facility outbreaks, but the majority of virus transmissions, they tell us, is coming from community spread, just all through the community. Wayne County. Wayne County is also a high level of cases, 256 cases per 100,000. Uh, they returned to red this week. They were last red the week of September 3rd. Uh, the county also exceeds the CDC's threshold for high incidence and is seeing a sustained increase in new cases, outpatient visits, and hospital admissions. Local health department officials report there was a significant outbreak at the College of Worcester. Uh, there have been some long-term care facility outbreaks, and the College of Worcester has recently announced uh, that they are going remote. Uh, they have done a good job. They prepared, uh, but uh, the spread has just overwhelmed them in that sense. So they are going uh, remote. Let's turn to Tuscaroras County. They're red for the first time this week. Uh, they're at a fairly high rate, 217 cases per 100,000, over double the, the high incidence rate. Um, they're seeing sustained increases in new cases, outpatient visits, and hospital admissions. The Tuscaroras County Local Health Department reports they had a record number of cases on Monday, 41 new cases on Monday. 22 residents are hospitalized, at least three are on ventilators. Spread continues in families and in the community, particularly through social gatherings. Ottawa County is red for the first time this week. The county exceeds the CDC's threshold for high incidence, seeing a sustained increase in new cases. They're at 130 cases per 100,000. Health Department officials report the county has had more than 90 cases to date in October, which is triple the number of cases they had in September. Like other areas of the state, people are socializing, socializing with friends, family, which is leading to additional virus spread. Hardin County. They're at 127 cases per 100,000. They returned to red this week. The last time the county was red was the week of July 23rd. County exceeds CDC's threshold for high incidence. They're seeing an increase in outpatient visits. Uh, the health department reports that events continue to happen uh, and that they are having, unfortunately, uh, some difficulty in getting people to cooperate in, in regard to contact tracing, which is really just essential if we're gonna knock this down. <clears throat> Jogger County, they are not a high incidence county. They're at 86 per 100,000, but they are red for the first time this week. The county has seen sustained increase in new cases and outpatient visits. Social gatherings have continued, including get togethers with family, friends. There's been a drop off in people wearing masks. And again, while we haven't talked much about this, uh, when we're talking about people getting together, uh, many times the health departments will report that people were not wearing masks. Uh, and that, again, I'll kind of go back to what I've said is that m many times you can do things, but you just have to do it a little different way. And wearing the mask, as Chris Christie said, is just kind of a, 
not a very big sacrifice to prevent the spread of virus to yourself or someone else. Uh, Lake County. Um, Lake County is at 68 cases per 100,000, not a high incidence. The county has had sustained increase in new cases in outpatient visits. They have traced some of the virus spread to large social gatherings uh, that then carried over into a workplace. They've encountered some resistance also with contact tracing. Let's go to Lorain County. Uh, again, their, their incidence is 66 cases per 100,000. Again, not over the high incidence but they returned to red this week. The last time they were red was the week of August 27th. The county has had a sustained increase in new cases, cases and outpatient visits. Local health department officials report spread from social gatherings, including sleepovers and some workplace uh, transmission. So that's where we are. Uh, let me turn to another uh, topic. Uh, nearly three years ago, uh, as Ohio's attorney general, we became one of the first states to file a lawsuit against the drug companies uh, and against the distributors. Uh, this week, the United States Department of Justice announced a more than $8 billion settlement with Purdue Pharma, uh, one of the organizations that Ohio uh, sued. Uh, this is uh, the beginning of justice, um, and there will be more outcomes of cases as they move forward. So we, we congratulate the Justice Department, uh, and this is good. This is good news uh, for the people of this country. Uh, let me now turn to Lieutenant Governor John. Thank you, Governor. Thank you very much. And uh, I just want to spend a little time on uh, the economic recovery and and some news there, and and really to help talk a little bit about how people who maybe have been displaced by what's occurred uh, in, the work, in the workplace since COVID or due to technology, that there are a number of ways that you can transition into a new career. And one of them I would like to focus on today is apprenticeships. Ohio is currently ranked number four in the U.S. for the number of apprenticeships. So we're, we're proud of that. We think we've made some, some great progress in Ohio on that front. Uh, we have 19,981 apprentices and on average, this is the important part, the apprentices in Ohio earn as much as uh, $70,000 a year, uh, or earn on average $70,000 a year. We have 590 sponsors of, of apprenticeships in the state of Ohio. The great thing about an apprenticeship is that you can learn and earn at the same time where you're, um, uh, while you're in the process of, of acquiring uh, your certification. Uh, the only states that are currently rank ahead of us, according to the Registered Apprenticeship Partnership Information Data System, so we've got some factual basis for this, uh, were California, which is obviously a bigger state, uh, Texas uh, as well, and South Carolina. And we believe that, frankly, we can get to number two in this one. Uh, and we're going to continue to push to try to, to add apprentices. Uh, also of note, though, we are number one when you talk about state apprentices alone, state-sponsored apprenticeships versus federal-sponsored apprenticeships. So we're, we're doing this right in Ohio. And if this at all sounds like of interest to you, a family member, someone you know, um, you know, there are apprentices in construction, manufacturing, IT, they're all over the place, across the board in, in the economy. We encourage you to go to apprentice.ohio.gov, uh, to apprentice, 
www.ohio.gov and there's more information about how you can get involved uh, in that process, in that system. Uh, I want to also uh, spotlight uh, a business leader, business leadership. We try to hi highlight the businesses who've really stepped up. Uh, and as we know, Governor, as we've often discussed, that we have um, a lot of businesses who stepped up and helped us. We know that PPE is one of the areas that, that we are in, in uh indefinite need of, particularly as the virus resurges and maybe as we have a, a vaccine coming sooner, we're going to have even more and more demand for PPE. And I want to highlight one of those businesses, Norwalk Furniture, uh, who after uh, the, the virus came about, um, they halted operations and then a local, because they, they were, there just wasn't demand for their product at the time. And, and a local hospital said, hey, could you make PPE for us? And so they began manufacturing thousands of hospital gowns and masks at Norwalk Furniture uh, and many of their employees, you know, came back uh, and choose to come, come back and help and work overtime to help supply the, the PPE. And, and uh, this is one example of the resiliency of Ohio businesses where they're stepping up, they're filling in a void. And, and we know that, that this is going to be here for a while and that we want these businesses to continue to to make PPE and we want Ohioans to continue to, we want America to purchase these things domestically so we don't have to be reliant on a international supply chain for these, these uh, particular, um, uh, for PPE or anything else that's critical during a pandemic. I also wanna add on the, on the jobs front that there are currently one, 159,315 jobs posted at Ohio Means Jobs you can go there and take a look, 78,000 plus, uh, more than 78,000 jobs pay $50,000 a year or more. There are also internships. I like to highlight this because I know people are struggling out there uh, and, and there, are, there are resources to help you. There are op opportunities out there and we encourage you to uh, take advantage of them. And then, uh, Governor, in closing, I know the other day I talked about Jackson County, how they were pulling together as a community uh, to, uh, to coordinate their, their efforts. And, and on a little bit of a lighter side, uh, but effective side, particularly when you hear Governor Christie's story, it was a very compelling story about, the, about wearing a mask and, and following the rules. Well, in, in Dayton, the Dayton Area Chamber of Commerce has rallied the area mascots, so we have all of the mascots from the, from the local teams, uh, Heater and Jim from the Dayton Dragons and uh, Rowdy Raider from Wright State and, and Rudy Flyer from the University of Dayton. They started a campaign in the Dayton area to help highlight uh, wearing of masks uh, to reach people of all ages. Uh, the hashtag is Dayton Mascots. Uh, and uh, we really appreciate the innovative, creative ways that people are owning these problems at the local level, because we, we, we do. We have to we have to rally together uh, in the smallest groups as families, as communities, uh, as regions and certainly as a state and a nation. And we appreciate everybody who's pulling together to try to convey these messages out there across the state of Ohio. Back to you, Governor. John, thank you very much. We'll go to questions. Governor, first question today is from John London at WLWT in Cincinnati. John. Hi, Governor. Uh, with Hamlin County now on the watch list, parents, teachers, and students are wondering what's going to happen 
if their county turns purple next week, you've said schools are not the spread problem, that they're taking the right precautions. I can tell you in recent days, we've seen bars and restaurants where you'd think the pandemic had never happened, packed shoulder to shoulder without masks. So school families are asking, since they're doing what you've said to do, and certain night spots are not, why should they, the schools, be punished at all if a county goes purple? Why wouldn't they be able to stay open while health departments go after the virus? Great question. Um, and let me let me try to try to answer that. Um, first of all, there's no mandate from the state uh, in regard to purple. Uh, there's some guidance. And we tell people it's a, it's a heightened level of awareness, a heightened level of, of concern. Uh, but we always tell people to look at, at two things. Look at your color, but also look at number of cases per 100,000. And we, you can see it every week. Uh, and that'll give you some idea how you compare to other, other counties. For example, Cuyahoga County, the other end of the state, John, um, you know, their numbers, they're way down the list. Um, you know, they're, I think they're, they're barely high incident level. Uh, that's high, uh, but there's 70 other counties that have more spread than they, than they do. Um, so look at where you are, number of cases per 100,000 in the last two weeks. That really kind of tells you what your odds are of running into somebody who's got it. And that's kind of the way I would, I would look, at, look at that. So that's important. Um, the color code is seven different potential indicators kind of come together to tell you overall where you are. And some of those indicators are early warning indicators. And some of them are late indicators. For example, uh, hospital. More and more people coming in, in, in into that hospital. Um, the three counties that we put on the watch list, all would qualify this week as purple. But our system says you got to be purple two weeks before we show you as purple. So they're on our watch list. They're not, they're not purple. Now, let me, that it, what I just said is all information that I think any Ohio citizen can get their hands on, can look at, whether you're a parent, where you're a school administrator, uh, you know, just an average citizen, uh, you just want to see what's going on in your county. Those are the two things we ask you to look at. Let's talk about our schools. Uh, I expressed the other day a concern um, and a couple concerns. One, what is reflected in schools as far as COVID spread um, depends on what's going on in the community. If you've got four times the COVID spread, for example, you're in a rural county that's got that, you're almost bound to have some spread in your school. The schools, John, as you indicated, uh, around this state, uh, I, I believe from all the information I can get are doing a very good job. The indicators are that we are not seeing a significant amount of spread in the schools themselves. Um, and it goes back to what I've said, that what we've learned. What we've learned is when people are in a, a more formal setting, factory, workplace, school, people follow protocols, and they wear masks, they try to keep a distance uh, as much as possible, and we don't see a lot of spread generally. 
So that would be school true with the schools as it will be for, for in, in, in business. Same way with colleges. In classroom, we don't have an indication there's much spread in the classroom. Uh, spread, in, spread in the dorms where the school can control the situation, you know, there's some, but we're really seeing it, the spread throughout society is just people letting their guard down. The examples I gave earlier today uh, and just this social interaction and spread people not wearing masks, not being careful, not keeping a distance. So uh, I, I would ask our educators, I would ask our superintendents, take all that into consideration, you know, in the same way with, with parents. I think you also have to add uh, the fact that while some students will thrive no matter how they're taught, it would seem, um, there are many students who don't. Uh, and there are students who don't thrive in a remote learning situation. Uh, and so we are now seeing schools that some schools that were, you know, went remote, of course, in, in, in the spring. Uh, they've come back and were remote up until now. Some of them are announcing that they're going to stay remote at least until the end of this calendar year. Um, and I would just say, look, it, we believe in local control. We believe in schools and parents making these decisions. But I'm bothered, as the governor, frankly, by schools, um, by, by kids being out of school that long. And this is, again, an individual decision. But I think that everybody needs to, we, we continue to learn more. Uh, we're going to do a, a study. Um, but the results of that study will be, it'll take a month, but we're going to go into some schools, uh, with the school's consent and the, and, and, you know, individuals consent, obviously families, uh, and if let's say Mary is in a classroom and she found out later she has COVID and it's, they look back and say, well, she had Billy over here, and he was within four feet of her, you know, for longer than 15 minutes, and he's got to be quarantined. And that's what the CDC says. What we're going to do for schools that if we can do this trial, uh, and we intend to do this trial with new, new, new quick tests, uh, we're going to take, allow that student who is close to the other student uh, to stay in school, but to test them and test them very frequently. At the same time, we're going to take a, a, another group of people in that school, another group of students in that school, and again with parents' consent, everyone's consent, and test them even though they've not been exposed. And we're going to see what kind of numbers that we, what we see. Uh, because anecdotally, which is all we have now, uh, you know, we are just not seeing a lot of spread directly in the classroom. And when you go up on the... On the uh, portal that we have put up uh, where you can look and see how many schools reporting cases. Um, you know, in some of those cases, you have to drill down and look at every case, but in some of those, they may be school related, but they may not have occurred in school. It may have been students getting together. Uh, it may have been you know, parents having an alternative uh, event. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it didn't, it didn't occur in the school, but it impacts the kids in the school. So these are all things that I think, you know, 
particularly parents uh, and school officials where kids have been out of school for some period of time, I, I think they all need to take all these factors into consideration um, in deciding, you know, what what they need to do going forward. And I, I apologize for a long answer, but it's a I, I, it's a complex issue. It's we've left it to the local community to make this decision. Part of my job, I think, is to give the local community as much information as I can. And some of the new information that we're getting as we just kind of look at this anecdotally uh, from schools is that um, schools, like most other things in society that are more formal, uh, there's not as much spread as there is when people are just kind of getting together very informally. So thanks for asking the question, John. Next question is from Danny Eldridge at Hannah News Service. Hello, Governor. How are you? I'm good. Um, so, so with hospitalizations going up, I'm, I'm starting to hear that beds are already becoming an issue with hospitals running at full capacity. Um, at what point could we go back to restricting uh, elective surgeries and other items? And, and <clears throat> what's the strategy for making sure hospitals don't go bankrupt if that is the case? Yeah, well, we don't want them to go bankrupt, and we also don't want them to stop doing uh, elective surgeries. Uh, you know, we had the period of time where they couldn't do it. Um, when we made that initial decision in the spring, that was based upon advice from hospitals. Uh, the decision about uh, when hospitals stop doing, uh, if they ever do stop doing elective surgeries, is going to be informed by what hospitals are telling us. Um, and we're going to probably do this more on a case-by-case -case basis. We'll have, to, we'll have to take a look at that. Again, I'm going to use every opportunity I can to reinforce this message. We don't have to go there. We do not have to be there. We do not have to be in that situation. We can control this if we get 90%, 85% of people wearing masks, keeping a distance, uh, and using their good common sense uh, about the spread. And uh, we, we can avoid this. We can turn this around. Um, it's, it's, it's multiplying very quickly. But it will continue to do that unless we do something differently. And doing something differently is just more of us wearing masks and more of us being careful. We've done it, we've done it twice before. We can do it again. Governor, if, if, I, could, if I could add on that, remember also that it was also due to a lack of PPE. And we have worked very hard to build a supply chain for PPE. That was one of the original reasons that they asked for us to, to delay uh, uh, elective yeah, good surgeries, point. and we've we've built that out uh, very well over time. So that helps uh, mitigate that problem. And and we have we have some Ohio companies. We're very proud of this. Some Ohio companies making some of this PPE now. So thank you. Next question is from Jeff Reddick at WSYX in Columbus. Good afternoon, Governor. Uh, this is the last time that we'll get to talk to you before the Buckeyes return to play. Um, the university is advising fans against large gatherings at home. And I wonder if you'd address that as well. Um, also, this is against the backdrop that four of the eight teams the Buckeyes are scheduled to play will come from or the Buckeyes will go to their states uh, where test rates are higher or much higher than Ohio. Um, so it would seem there's an interesting example to set here. Well, I think Ohio State is absolutely right. Uh, the president has a good message. Ohio State Athletics has a good message. Uh, and that is the risk is not going to be 
um, you know, obviously in the stands. They're going to limit it to number of people. They're going to be mostly families uh, that will be there. I think it's a total of 1,500 Ohio State Stadium. So um, we're not concerned about those fans. Uh, they can certainly spread out. They can wear masks, will wear masks. Um, but it is the gathering of all what we do as we watch the Buckeyes um, and, you know, how we, how we gather together. And my message simply would be, you know, please be careful. Um, you know, you can watch the Buckeyes, but you don't have to watch them with, you know, a large number of people. And, uh, you know, if you feel, do feel the necessity of watching them with a group of people, wear a mask. You can wear a mask inside. Uh, you know, keep some distance. Be careful. Uh, be careful about the food. But, uh, you know, these are all, all things that people can, can certainly do and be very, very, very careful. Um, as far as teams coming from high-incident states, we have a high-incident state. We're a high-incident state. Now, we may not be as high positivity. Um, you know, our positivity yesterday when I looked at it was 6% for the day. So it's gone from 25 to 6. Uh, not good. Um, but as far as the, you know, the states where it's very, very high, um, you know, some people might ask, well, what's the propriety of, you know, having these football players come in? And, and the reality is that they're tested quite often. Ohio State players are tested Quite often, uh, you know, they're following the best protocols that they can they, they can find. Um, so, you know, that's that's what they're doing. They've been very responsible um, all the way through in regard to how they deal with it. it. Doesn't mean they might not have a have a spread. But again, the thing we always we worry about more uh, is not the formal settings, it's the informal settings, uh, and that's that's what we should should worry about. Thank you. Next question is from Joe Ingalls at Ohio Public Radio and Television. Hey, Joe. Good afternoon, Governor. Um, I have a question about Thanksgiving. Going back to this this question about people coming in and and coming in from all over. Um, there's a the airlines. Some of the airlines are providing testing. Different states have different testing guidelines. You just referred to it in the uh, case with the football. Um, but the thing is that Governor Christie, when he was speaking, he said that testing kind of made him a little bit um, uh, overly sure of his situation. Do you think that, that people uh, can look at all this testing that's going on and, and get a false sense of security and what's being done to make sure that that doesn't happen? Yes, I think people uh, can get false sense of security, they get, a, they get a negative test and they think they're okay. Well, it, it, you know, frequent testing is good, um, but it doesn't mean you change your behavior. And I think that was the message from uh, Governor Christie. You know, wear a mask, wear a mask. Don't stop wearing a mask. Don't take that mask off just because you've tested negative today. Next person you may run into may have it. And you don't know it, and they may not know it. Uh, so I think that's the strong, strong message. Um, you know, don't don't think that because you've you've taken a test and you've, you're negative um, that you can let your guard down. I mean, that's you know, one of the things that we've learned: this virus is sneaky, nasty, um, and it can come up on you pretty quick. 
and uh, people can have it and they don't know they have it. So the next person you run into might, be, might have it. So yeah, continue to wear a mask. I think that's the strong, strong message. And as far as Thanksgiving, get back to what we've talked about with Halloween and Thanksgiving before. It may not be the same Thanksgiving you've had in the past. Uh, you know, where a bunch of people come in from out of town and you mix a bunch of families together. It just doesn't make any sense. And I think we got to look at this from the long run, long, long view of this. And the good news is that we'll, we're going to get through this. Uh, we're going to break through. Uh, virus, you know, the, the vaccine is coming, uh, but it's not here. And uh, we don't have any kind of immunity. Uh, and so we're exposed and we're going we're gonna to remain exposed. And so... Once you get outside, the people that live with you, you got to be alert, has to go up, even if they're loved ones. Next question is from Marty Schladen at the Ohio Capitol Journal. Afternoon, Governor. Afternoon. Um, so the numbers that you spoke of and the anecdote that Governor Christie gave, I think for most rational people, those would be pretty sobering. Um, but if you looked on your Twitter feed right now, it's... it's Screaming with some pretty, you know, false stuff like uh, the uh, the spike proves that masks don't work. The increase in cases is due strictly to more testing. Um, and I just want to ask you, where do you think this hostility to science comes from? And do you think it's harmed the state's effort to combat the virus? Well, first of all, this is not what you asked, but I'm going to use it as an occasion to answer it anyway or to state it, uh, I'm not for any kind of censorship. I'm bothered anytime there's any, any censorship out there. Um, uh, you know, anybody pulling stuff down from, uh, uh, you know, a company pulling something down is not the right thing to do. But uh, look, what we can simply do is, is, is share data, share information, um, you know, I fully expected when uh, uh, Governor Christie came and talked that people would be on the internet right away saying different, different things. I just found his story to be a compelling story. When I read it, when I first heard him on TV, then I, then I read the op-ed, I just thought it was compelling. Uh, and I thought I related to it because I think it's something that anybody could do. Uh, you know, anybody who thought, okay, I'm, I'm safe, my heavens, I'm at the White House. They test everybody every day or every other day, whatever it is. They test people often. I'm safe. And, and he said, when I walked in, I put, you know, took my mask off. When I walked out on the street, I put my mask back on. And, and so his story, I just think, is a compelling, <clears throat> compelling story. The whole idea that our, our uh, cases are going up solely because increase in testing is just nuts. I mean, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's not right. The, the biggest, the way you can tell that is, you know, look at, look at our increase in uh, positivity. Uh, generally, as you go out and testing a wider, wider group of people, you would expect, uh, and, and testing many people who don't have symptoms now, uh, you would expect that the positivity would go down. Uh, that is not what's happened. Uh, as our cases, you know, uh, yes, our cases have gone up, and our but our positivity has gone up as well, and it's you know almost double what it was. Well, it's more than double uh, than what it was um, three weeks ago. So, you know, look, people can. We're always going to have people out there who, who who just make arguments that don't make any sense and are are not based on science. And um, 
there's nothing we can do about that. So we just hope that, uh, you know, we, we believe in the First Amendment and, uh, and that people will sort it out. And I think in the end, people do sort it out. And I think that's what is, is compelling about Chris Christie's story. You know, people can say, oh, gee, you know, now I might have been in that same position. Next question is from Bradley Underwood at WKRC in Cincinnati. Good afternoon, Governor. Um, this wasn't the question I had planned on asking, but based on what you had you've said today and some of the other questions, uh, when you say, you know, we can do this, we can stop this spread, um, we got to wear a mask, we got to stay distant. Down here in Hamilton County, obviously that's not working. People are not listening. Um, and we're seeing that across the country. On the verge of going purple here in Hamilton County, um, are we going to expect shutdowns? I mean, what 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 are the next steps to do? Because clearly, people are not taking the advice to mask up and stay distant. Well, there's still time. Uh, there's still time for them to do that, and uh, I'm I'm the optimist. I think people will do it. I mean, I had look. I I think I told you this the other day. I had had somebody who called me and, and basically said, you know. Uh, you know, in our community, people don't take it seriously until they take it seriously. And now they're starting to take it seriously. Um, and I, I would hope that as I started the press conference with, that for those of my fellow Ohioans who have said, it doesn't impact me, it's not in my county, or if it's in my county, it's not spread very much, and I'm going to take my chance. And when it gets serious, I'll get serious about it. But until then, don't bother me. What I'm saying today is, it's time to pay attention. It is serious now. It is getting worse by the minute. Um, and we see the data every, recorded every single day, and the numbers just are going like this. Uh, so it's time to get serious. We can do this. Um, and we have it. Not only can Ohioans do it, Ohioans are in the unique position to do this. You know, government cannot mandate unless we're in China uh, or unless some totalitarian state and we don't want to live there and we don't want to do that government is not going to come knocking on your door and making sure that you know you're not having a, a party government's not going to can't be everywhere and it's not going to say you know hey where's your mask I mean, ultimately there's there's personal responsibility here and Ohioans are pragmatic people uh, we're tough we're strong we're pragmatic we get serious when it's time to get serious. It's time to get serious. Next question is from Max Philby at the Columbus Dispatch. Max. Hey, Governor. How are you doing today? I'm well, sir. Uh, with the election just uh, over two or just under two weeks away, are do you have any concerns that we're seeing cases spike right now? And should the Secretary of State's office or any boards of elections take any other uh, precautions with cases surging right now? Well, Secretary of State's on it. Uh, Frank LaRosa is on this. Uh, he lives and breathes it every day. <clears throat> um, so I don't have any ad advice for him. Uh, my advice to any of my fellow citizens who are concerned about going and voting on Election Day, plenty of time now. Get your absentee ballot and, and go ahead and vote. Uh, you can certainly do that if you want to do that, if you're concerned about that. Um, you know, if you want to check the Board of Elections and uh, see what kind of line there is next Tuesday at 2 o'clock or something, uh, you know, depending on 
what how many people are showing up at that time of day. Um, you know, you might want to show up then or find a time that is uh, a downtime. So there's there's many opportunities for people to to vote. Um, and again, I think you know we may have very high voting, but we're also going to have a higher number of people voting early than have ever voted before. I think in Ohio history. So that should spread it out on on election day. And the other thing, I just keep reminding everyone, please, please, please wear a mask when you go in to vote. Uh, we owe it to the workers there. We owe it to the people who are there. And undoubtedly, there will be some poll workers who have a medical problem, so poll workers who, who are older, and they are you know, very, very susceptible. Um, and if they get it, susceptible to the outcome not being a great outcome. So uh, a charity, love uh, for our poll workers who are working a long day anyway, and let's help them out by wearing a mask. Next question is from Laura Hancock at cleveland.com. Hi, Governor. Um, as you know, we're in this spike. Um, schools and businesses and just average Ohioans you know, are trying to make difficult decisions to spend, stem the spread of infection and keep themselves safe. Um, yet we still don't have the contract, contact tracing data um, that pinpoints the sources of the spread. And um, we've only gotten anecdotes over the past few months. When can we get some real data that shows how this virus is spreading? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that uh, we had in a meeting this morning uh, specifically about that. Uh, and, you know, what we have had so far, it was a system that was designed not for the pandemic. Uh, we've been trying to live with this system uh, because local health departments have been overwhelmed, 113 local health departments. Uh, but we've, we've made the decision that we need to, you know, get better data, uh, and so what's happening now is, you know, they're reporting things, uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's more anecdotal. And so we're going to give them a field of, of things to check um, of, you know, what comes up in an interview. But I would even say to tell you that even when we get that, it, it's not going to be, in most cases, many, many, many cases, it can't be determined, particularly now that we have significant, significant community spread, it cannot be determined where that person got it. So what you may have is a list of places this person has been during that period of time. Might be a restaurant, might be a bar, might be home, might be family, might be this, might be that. Many times the, the person who's doing the tracing cannot determine you know, exactly where that person got it. So you'll have, you might have, you could conceivably, even under our new system, you could conceivably have five checks, seven checks, different places. You have no clue uh, which of those places that person, person got it from. Because, you know, it's not a case where in every case they come back and say, you know, like we've solved the problem. We know, you know, that he got this at 10 o'clock at such and such a place. Uh, that's just not the world we live in. It's not what we have. So what we're going to do is try to make it easier for the local health departments to report it by checking different options, 
but even when we get that information, you're not going to have uh, any, you know, you may have some better information, but it's not going to be, certainly not going to be definitive um, at all. And so that's the challenge. What you have now um, is, you know, notes that have been taken so you can go through, you can you could go through and you could do a word search. But uh, for example, if the if the note taker had taken down, if you if you search for bar and the note taker or restaurant and the note taker had written not in a bar or not in a restaurant, uh, that would still show up as restaurant or show up as a bar. So, uh, you know, we're upping the system. We hope it doesn't cost too much added time for our for the caseworkers, people who are out there every day in the 113 health departments. So we're going to go ahead and do that. But even after we do it, the information we're going to get is 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 still going to be somewhat anecdotal. Next question is from Jackie Borchert at the Cincinnati Inquirer. Hey, Jackie. Hey, good afternoon. Um, I'm going to go back to something you said earlier. You were talking about concerns about kids being out of school and not learning well in the virtual environment. Um, and the evidence we have so far is that schools are not environments uh, that lead to a lot of spread. Yet um, many school districts are using the color-coded map, which includes cases at colleges and universities and um, are not necessarily in those schools to determine whether they're going to be online or in person. Um, I guess, how much should schools be looking at that color-coded map to make their decisions? And um, like, like you said earlier, it, it's at odds with what I'm hearing out of some school districts. How, how should schools go about making that decision of, of bringing the kids back or, or sending them home? Yeah, look, I, I think if, if, I, if it was my child, if I was a parent, uh, if, if I was a superintendent, uh, if I was school board, I'd try to gather all the information I could. Uh, I would look at the color code because that tells you, you know, overall what's going on in your county. Uh, Green County, where we are right now, went red. Um, and, you know, people make decisions based, based upon that. It tells you something. You also need to look at the list of 88 counties and number of cases they've had in the last two weeks. I think you also, I would look at if my school was uh, in session or if my school was in uh, hybrid, I would want to look at how many cases I'm sh showing up in school. What's, show what, what is, what's going on in my school itself? If you are in a big county, uh, if you're in a Franklin County or Cuyahoga County, and I would drill down and look at my zip codes or zip code uh, where my school is, because, you know, what, what may be happening in one part of the county, it may not be quite reflected the same in the other, although the spread now is just going, you know, it's going everywhere. But I also would look at my students, and um, I, I would try to uh, try to make a determination if I was going remote. How are they doing? Uh, how do we? Th how do I think this is working out for these students? Uh, if I was hybrid, uh, the days that were remote, these kids are remote. If I was totally remote, I'd want to say, well, look, how are we doing? Everybody's trying, but how? How is this getting delivered? Uh, are the kids getting it? And I would look. I would look at that. So I think it's you got. There's no one solution, and every school district's different. Uh, but I would want to look at all of those things and then make a determination. And look, throughout this virus, 
everything is a balancing act. Everything is you, you're balancing. You're, time after time, we're looking at choices, and neither which neither choice is great. In fact, some choices are bad, both bad. One's just worse than the other one. And so you've got to figure out what's the risk, risk to the kids, risk to the teachers. Uh, you've got to figure out, you know, how much, how well are these students doing or can they do remotely? Uh, how well can they do in, in person? What's the weather and the weather being the color-coded map and, and, and being the number of cases that, that we've got. Uh, so I, I think I would look at, you know, all of those things and, and that's why, you know, I appreciate your question because I, I really wanted to cover this today because I've, I've been talking last night to a school superintendent from Hamilton County. I've talked to others and um, there's no magic to this. There's no, if this, then we automatically do this. These are, these are judgment calls that are being made by good people under very, very, very difficult and adverse conditions. Next question is from Jack Windsor at WMFD in Mansfield. Hey, Jack. Hi, Governor. Hey, thank you for answering my question on Tuesday uh, about whether the state would mandate vaccines or require immunity certificates. You said that, that you wouldn't. Uh, however, the second part of my question from Tuesday was unanswered, and I'd like to get your answer on that today, if I may. Um, will you allow others to mandate vaccines? For example, allowing businesses to require employees to vaccinate in order to work or maybe prospective customers? And will you allow schools to press for vaccines for kids uh, despite Ohio's existing exemptions for kids K through 12, since many boards, uh, school boards now are currently not honoring mask exemptions? Well, uh, you know, our, our law is clear uh, in regard to school kids. So, you know, I, I would see no uh, change in that law at all uh, in regard to school kids. Uh, we would encourage people to get a flu shot. We encourage them to get, you know, all kinds of different shots. Uh, but the law is what the law is in regard to, to our school children. That's one, that's one category. Uh, as far as your, your, your other question about whether a business could require everyone that would work, work there to have to have a shot, something I will talk, uh, talk to the General Assembly. Uh, we generally uh, allow decisions like that to be made in the workplace uh, if they directly impact the welfare of the people uh, who are working there, and we generally allow those judgment calls to be made by the employers uh, who can set a, a, a condition of, of work. Uh, but I want to talk to the speaker. I want to talk to Senate President. I want to consult with other members of the General Assembly uh, to kind of get their feeling in, in regard to that. Thank you. Next question is from Jess Harden at MahoningMatters.com. Hi, Governor. Thanks for taking my question yes. today. Um, after you issued the statewide mask mandate in July, I spoke with health officials in Mahoning, Trumbull, and Columbiana counties. And when they receive a complaint about mask noncompliance, they typically send someone out to check on how the business is enforcing the mandate. Um, there are essentially no repercussions for consumers who choose not to wear masks. Um, the best each department can do is for 